G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au So we're in this concert and um, the lights go dark and then Roger stands there and he's playing his little introduction and the light comes on him and everyone just goes berserk, screaming, yelling, you know, and the music's getting louder and I'm just standing there looking at this man standing on stage like I was absolutely in awe and I, I was agog at that. And I thought, I'm not going to see this man as just a father anymore. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scatterbo. That's the song Another Brick in the Wall, which was a big hit for the rock group Pink Floyd in 1979. It was written by their atheist bass player, Roger Waters, and was part of one of the best-selling albums of all time, The Wall. Pauline Morrison was born in New Zealand and traveled with Roger Waters' family during the world tour of The Wall, which was one of the most expensive stage productions of all time. So, how did a good girl from a Christian family in New Zealand cross paths with an atheist rock star and then go on to be a missionary? We'll find out today as Pauline shares her remarkable story. Pauline Morrison, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to have you with us, and we shouldn't have our listeners be in suspense any longer. Why were you on tour with Pink Floyd? Um, Well, when I was 19, I left New Zealand and uh, traveled to London. And I did get a job looking after two children. And the interesting thing was uh, I didn't know who the family was, but I did feel very strongly that it was the right job to take. And So wait a second. You had no idea who this was? No. It's just a job? It was a job. And I, mm. I had uh, two afternoons with the mother and the two children to get to know them a bit and... Um, get to know them, to spend some time with them. And we then we both agreed that, yes, I would join them as a nanny. I then had a month and had to travel out to the south of France to meet them there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was quite interesting because the nanny who was about to leave, there was a crossover period. Mm-hmm. And one night we were sitting up in the room and she just asked me, she said, Pauline, do you know... Now I asked her, "What what does what does he do? What does Roger do?" <laughs> he just goes off someplace during the he, day. You know, in the morning he comes down, has breakfast with the children, goes off to work. No different than um, at most of our families, you mm-hmm. know. And he yeah. comes home from work, has tea, or baths the children, or spends time with the children. And her words to me were, "Did you not ask <laughs> that question at the interview?" And I said, "No," because it just felt right. Mm. When she told me that it. He was uh, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd. I 
was a little bit concerned because I thought, oh, what is my mother going to say? <laughs> that was, Back in, that was my very first response was, oh, no, what is my mother going to say? So, Had you heard of Pink Floyd? I had. I had. I didn't listen to their music. I was no fan. I wasn't really into mm. rock music at all. So yeah. to me, it was just opening up a whole new life, really. So little did you know that this guy who had come down the stairs and eat breakfast with you would go off during the day and write one of the best-selling albums of all time. It's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and no, all that. You no, didn't have any idea. I had no time. idea. He would just uh, go off to work. I knew, you know, he had, it was in the south of France and he had to travel a fair way to get to the studio. Mm-hmm. And so it would be, you know, six o'clock or something at night when he came back. But to me, that was just family. He was just That's doing what a, I a knew job. a normal man, uh, yeah. you know, family did. So... It, it was a bit of an eye opener, and I thought, "Oh, how am I going to tell people, you know, this?" But in the role, you are with the children, mm-hmm. and you are caring with the children, mm-hmm. with the parents, and they were very kind and and caring to so me. So it was as well. not out of the ordinary for you. It wasn't out of the ordinary for me because what I knew of family was that mm-hmm. Dad went to work, he came home, and did just what what Roger was doing. And it wasn't until much later that you actually learned just whose family you were a part of. I I think as I worked with them and read a bit more about them and realized the extent of their fame, Mm -hmm. that's when I began to think, oh, my goodness, you know, this is bigger than what I thought. But it didn't change how I approach my approach to him or Mm -hmm. the children. Mm. At the end of the day, people are people. People are people, and Same I was. Challenges. I was the nanny, and you know they still have to change nappies, and they still have to make decisions for their children. What school they're going to going to? Mm-hmm. What play group mm-hmm. in this in wherever they are? You know, we were six months in the south of France, where they finished off the Wall album, and then travelled to Los Angeles, where it was another six months where they completed the Wall and prepared and staged the first show of the wall, mm-hmm. you know, the first um, mm-hmm. uh, concert. So life was busy for them, and they really did put time aside for the children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get back to more of your brush with fame in just a bit, but let's go back to the beginning of your life, born in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Well, I was born into a Christian family. I had three sisters and a brother, and a mum and dad who had a very relevant walk with God, mm-hmm. and I had a very happy upbringing, and uh it was great to have that grounding. So when I, I did my nursing and finished that, and uh, when I told my mum that I was going overseas, her first words were, well, when you got the tickets, bring them to me. Why is that? Because I was a very quiet girl, well, quiet at times, but I, it was something <laughs> that no one ever thought I would do. And little did they know that well, she my, didn't believe you would do it. She didn't believe I'd do oh, it. Oh, okay. So there wasn't even another discussion about it. So I thought, I'll show you. <laughs> oh, okay. All and right. so we did. We I um, saved up, and uh, in the September, I said to Mum, "Here's my ticket." I went and got the ticket. Booked third oh, okay. of March, t- nineteen seventy nine. I left Auckland to go overseas. Now let's just back up a little bit. You're from a strong Christian family. What about you? Had you accepted Jesus oh, as your savior? I was a very a strong Christian, actually. Okay. I was baptized at fifteen. A mm-hmm. one of the church elders came to me when I was fifteen and said, 
I've been watching you and I think you're ready for baptism. Well, for me at 15, that was two things happened. One, I had been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Two, the shock that someone was actually watching me. Mm. And, and and noticed your noticed development. my development. Luckily, it was good. Mm. You know, yeah, it might yeah, have been bad. Yeah, yeah. And so that was my very first taste of being aware that people did watch you. That mm. people could see you. People did take note of what you did or what you didn't do. But it was a positive yeah, experience. Yeah, affirming. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I had a very strong faith. Mm. But as you were sharing earlier. You wanted to kind of go out on your own mm. and do something unexpected. Mm. Go overseas to London. Mm. Wow. I just knew it was right to do and I was going and I went. Yeah. <laughs> and it was great. It was a wonderful time in my life, you know, and um, and I was very fortunate to get the job that I got. That yeah. So I was wondering, you get there, how do you go from arriving in London to being the nanny for a rock star? That's a very good question, isn't it? Because there seems to be a gap there. Yeah. My brother and his wife lived in London. Okay. So there was my base mm-hmm. and the first two, and I needed to get a job pretty soon, you know, uh, financially. And so I spent two weeks going for interviews for all these different um, positions. And this one came up. They said, would you be interested to travel? And I said, yes. Oh, And that went was for it. the interview. So I went through an agency, mm-hmm. a, a nanny agency, and they said, we have got one here that you might be interested if you're prepared to travel, if you want to go out of England. And I said, yes, thank you. And exactly. so basically the interviews happened from there. So I'm wondering, why did the Waters family pick this little young, innocent girl, <laughs> Christian girl from New Zealand? Maybe because you didn't know anything about rock music. Maybe that was refreshing for them. Well, probably. There are times, aren't you, where you just meet someone and you know. Mm-hmm. And and for me, that's how I felt. And so I assume they felt the same, that they just thought, yep, you know, she's okay for us and she fits, uh, interacted with the children well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that I didn't ask any questions of about who they were or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, well, it would have been pretty obvious that I had no idea who they were at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know who we are. Yeah, sign her up. Yeah, yeah. I would say. Now, in practical reality, most of your interaction was with Roger Waters' wife, Carolyn. Yes. Yeah. Who, incidentally, is the niece of the third Marquis of Zetland. Mm-hmm. She's Lady Carolyn Christie. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Well, I didn't really take much notice. <laughs> you didn't know anything about all this stuff. <laughs> I did know that because I did check that up. I did hear um, that, that she was, I think the nanny, when I, that first week actually said something, she's a lady, but that's all. Oh, okay. So, but it didn't, uh, do you know, that didn't phase me because that's mm-hmm. not what I was, I was just yeah. seeing a mother with her children. Mm-hmm. And yes, you know, she obviously had connections and things like that. But uh, for me, it, it just made no difference. Okay. So mm-hmm. you're just doing nanny work. Mm-hmm. The father of the family goes off to work doing something. You later learn. He's a rock star. When did you finally realize? When did it dawn on you? Oh, this is not just yes. an average family. Please tell us that story. I, I will tell. We were in America, and we were um, we were there for six months. And towards the end of that time, they actually did the concerts for the Wall. Okay, so did you know he, they were making this album? Oh yes, I knew about the album mm. at the start. I knew okay. that, and they asked me if I would like to go to a concert. 
Now, the only concert you had been, correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong, but the only concert you had been to before that was like a Youth Alive. I had no, no interest before I left New Zealand or any idea about rock music. Mm-hmm. And yet it was Youth Alive. To me, that was a pretty big thing. A couple thousand people. Yeah, yeah. So, and this was how many thousand in the stadium? Oh, I don't know. It was massive. It 60? Yes, yeah, 100,000. 80. 100, 80. Okay. And so um, this particular night, I went along with uh, the girl who was the nanny to the manager, and uh, we were just in the um, normal, normal auditorium. We, we didn't have backstage passes or anything. We just had tickets to go to the show. We sat in this huge auditorium and I had never seen anything like it before and people everywhere and uh, you got to see it set up the whole stage production oh yeah the is a the wall and yes all the we did and all um, prior to the concerts the child uh, Carolyn took the children and I to visit the um, site and to visit Roger and so the kids could see where daddy was and what mm-hmm. he does and give yeah. them a bit of an idea and and that was a real eye opener it made me realize these guys don't just get famous by doing nothing the the amount of work mm. the intensity of the preparation it's really hard work mm. long hours hard work um you're in charge of a huge massive team and uh it was great for me to see that before mm-hmm. I went to the concert yeah Okay. It just gave me a bit of an idea. Mm-hmm. So we're in this concert and um, the lights go dark and I'm like, oh, this is great. And then Roger stands there and he's playing his little introduction and the light comes on him and everyone just goes berserk, screaming, yelling, you <laughs> know, and the music's getting louder and I'm just standing there looking at this man standing on stage like I was absolutely in awe and I, I was – Gog at that. The first thought that came to me was, I'm going to be having breakfast with this man in the morning. <laughs> that they're all screaming and yelling. <laughs> they're all carrying on. And, and, you know, the whole show was, it was brilliant. It was fantastic. And I loved it. And um, I thought, I'm not going to see this man as just a father anymore. Mm. Suddenly it dawned on you, okay, this is not just a regular family. This is someone who is. Famous, mm, you know, and yeah. and it was quite an uncomfortable feeling. I think part of me preferred the way it was before. Yeah, yeah. So it was. I didn't know what to say to him at breakfast when he <laughs> asked me how was the concert. I think I said something stupid, you know. But uh, it was a really great experience. A great experience of music, but also a great experience of working through those feelings mm. that that are unexpected in your life. Mm. You know, life comes with so many different facets. And for me, that was something that I had to actually uh, learn to understand Mm. and to put into perspective that he's still a dad. Our guest today is Pauline Morrison, who at 19 years of age went from New Zealand to London and unexpectedly became the nanny for the family of one of the most successful rock stars of all time, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd. Next, we'll hear more of her story, including the events in her life that led her to rededicate her life to the Lord. All that more is coming up when we return right here on Real Faith. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au You're listening to Real Faith. 
Conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and today I'm chatting with Pauline Morrison, who at 19 years of age, unexpectedly became the nanny for the family of one of the most successful rock stars of all time, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd. Now here's more of my conversation with Pauline. Now, for me personally, growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, my family, you know, big Pink Floyd fans. This is before I became a Christian. So, you know, The Wall, you know, we grew up on that. That was the best-selling album when I was in high school and everything. Kind of dating myself here, but that was, you know, and, and it's it's a good story. It's a, basically a concept album, the story of, of somebody who is a rock star that's being isolated and just feeling despondent that there's a metaphorical wall between him and the audience and all that. So it's kind of a story well, kind of a cautionary tale of don't let this happen to you of, of mm. the rock star going down the drain and into a bad scene and everything. So this is where you were at, 19 years old, this dawning on you, you're in the middle of this kind of historic mm. creation. What happened then when their fame just skyrocketed even more so after that? Well, I didn't see that part, really. I was, again... So you weren't part of the whole rock scene and everything? no. I was at home with the children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd hear little snippets of this and that or, you know. But, no, uh, my role was to um, take care of the children. And they were, you know, his wife was very hands-on. So, um, I, to me, I was, my role was a little bit back from the actual rock scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, out of, re- uh, you know, respect for them too, I think they they cared for me in that, that, I was protected too, you know, Mm -hmm. this young girl that had come out from New Zealand. So they did care for me. And it was later, even probably when I came back to Australia, that I did more. Well, then, of course, the internet and that was becoming much more, you know, Mm. you could get onto all the information so much easier. I've got books and that at home about them. But once you get on the internet and you can, everything's so real. Oh, yeah. yeah. You really start to learn about what was happening in that time that I even maybe didn't even know and I yeah. didn't need to know at yeah. that time. So. Yeah, mm. so very interesting. Mm. So that was a part of your life. How did it come to an end? Um, the kids grew up, I guess. <laughs> well, how, uh, how long were you with them? I was with them about three years okay. and then I decided I'd met Bill and... Uh, your future husband. My future husband and we decided to do a bit of travelling. So, um, and then we... Went back to 1983, we went back to New Zealand and got married. So it was sad leaving the family because, um, you know, we had built a lovely relationship, but the, but sometimes things come to an end and it was my time was finished with them. and um, So it all ended amicably? Very amicably. And, uh, yes, we kept in touch for, you know, Christmas cards and that for quite a number oh, really? of years. Yeah, so that was good. And... Um, Every now and then I'd get a little photo of where the kids were at, you know, their different ages. So that was always lovely. And uh, Yeah, let's just skip to uh, in 2000. So it was a little boy and a little girl, Harry and India. and India. And you got to see Harry 
in Melbourne years later? I did. We went to um, Roger by the stage was had left the band and was doing tours, his own tour. That's uh, right. So the wall was the last. The wall was the last one. Pink Floyd with album together. with Roger. Waters. So he was um, going singularly, and he was doing a concert at Rod Laver Arena. So we got tickets, and um, to cut a long story short, we were offered tickets. Backstage passes via his oh, wife. Oh, that must have been fun. <laughs> so, of course, we just said, yes, please. And uh, would you like to meet Harry? And we said, yes, Harry, please. One of the children. One of the children. Now grown up. Who at this time was about 30. And so we did. We went backstage and said hello to Roger and then went back and um, uh, met Harry and had a chat with him. And So he remembered you? Vaguely. He just remembered me. Like, he was... Five, I think, or six when I left. So oh, okay. vaguely, you know, he did know the name and know who I was. So he was extremely polite, extremely lovely man, and had a bit of a chat, and then um, went backstage half time and had a chat, and then that was back onto the concert and home again. So that was a really great time to actually meet meet him yeah. growing up. Yeah, it was very very all um, those years later warming. Yeah, and it was all set up by his mother. Yeah, unfortunately. Roger Waters and Carolyn divorced in 1992. Yeah, they finished, so, yeah. But you still kept in contact with her. Yeah, right? we had uh, Christmas cards till well, for a couple of years after that, I think. And then, mm-hmm. you know, just we moved on. And What did your future husband, Bill, what did he think about? I your... didn't tell him. Oh. I didn't tell him for for a long time because, well, many months, probably a few months, uh-huh. because... I actually was very careful with who I told. Oh, okay. Protecting the mm, family's protecting privacy. Protecting the family, yeah. And even now, you know, I, this is something that I wouldn't normally do. Revealed but, for uh, the first time right first here. First time, yes. Oh, so, wonderful. Um, so you move on. You meet Bill. Mm-hmm. What's the next chapter in your life? Well, we, we got married in New Zealand in 1983 and then moved to Australia in 1984. Uh, Victoria mm-hmm. uh, made our home in uh, Narra Warren, and uh, then uh, ready we were pregnant. I was pregnant with our first child, and we were renting. We changed locations and rented a house in Berwick. And and was Bill a Christian? At no, time? we both had. Just, well, Bill had no Christian background at all. Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing. Didn't know anything. Wasn't anti because he didn't know. Right mm-hmm. where I'd kind of just slipped away and had just stayed away and not. Um, yeah, that's uh, something we neglected to talk yes. about. What happened to your whole spiritual life? During well, I all just this? think when I was overseas, I couldn't get to church. I had one day off, and then it just slipped by. My relation, the so best you didn't, way, like turn your back on God. You just kind of no, drifted away. It no, sounds like I always believed, but mm-hmm. I just slipped away. That's mm-hmm. the best way to describe it. Weren't reading um, your Bible at that time. No, I just uh, no, and I wasn't unhappy. Mm-hmm. I think. I really want people to know that. I wasn't unhappy with my life. I was very happy how it was traveling and all traveling, that. Mm-hmm. you know, met Bill and other people and seeing new things. It was wonderful. And so when we got to Australia and uh, rented a house in Berwick and the, it was only a young man, younger than us, that actually owned the house. And he came in to collect the rent one day and said... I go to this church and on Sunday they're having a singer there. Would you like to come? I said, I don't know. He said, well, think about it. It starts at 10 o'clock and it's just walking distance. And uh, I said, oh, yeah. Hmm. But on the day, on the very day, I got dressed 
you know, by then I had the baby and we got dressed and I, I said, well, I'm going to go to church. Hang on a minute, he why? goes. I just wanted to go. Mm. I, I don't know why. Mm. I just felt, well, I know now why, but at the time I just thought, I'm going to go. Mm. And I was lonely and I wanted to meet people, you know. We'd mm-hmm. been, this was a new country to me too. So, mm. well, hang on, I'll get up with you. So we oh. went. And, and that was the beginning of going to church every now and then to having some of the church folk come and visit us and answer our questions and especially Bill, answer Bill's questions and come back again a few, you know, a month or so later and have a cup of tea and answer more of his questions. And so by the end of 1986, he actually gave his heart to the Lord. And uh, so that was pretty interesting. So about the same time, I, I knew it was time for me to look at my relationship with Jesus. So we, that's how... Um, we kind of began our Christian journey together. That's the song Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. And as we heard, our guest today, Pauline Morrison, was the nanny for a member of the band's family when that song was made in 1979. We'll hear part two of my chat with Pauline Morrison next time, and we'll also hear some of the profound challenges she faced in life, as well as what led her and her husband to do ministry work among indigenous people in the Northern Territory. That's all coming up next time. But before we end today, I just want to share a few comments about the Pink Floyd song we just heard a bit of, Comfortably Numb. It's basically a warning to all of us, don't let this happen to you. It's part of the larger story of the album The Wall about a fictional rock star who has basically walled himself off from the outside world and genuine relationships because of past traumatic events in his life. He now self-medicates himself with drugs and has become comfortably numb. But deep down, he knows something better exists. This is a pretty dramatic example of a trap that any of us can fall into to one degree or another. That is, we could all find ourselves at times cutting others out of our lives so we don't get hurt. But, like the fictional character in this song, we know this is wrong and there's a better way. And most importantly, this is not what God wants for any of us. God's intention is for us to live in happy, healthy relationships, building each other up and sharing our vulnerabilities with each other. And the good news is, we can pray to God for the strength to build these healthy relationships in our lives so we don't become comfortably numb. Well, thanks so much for joining us for part one of my conversation with Pauline Morrison. And until next time when we'll hear more of her story, I'm Eric Scadabo. So long and God bless. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Real Faith is a production of Vision Christian Media. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.